0: Hey guys, it's Dr. Delvina, board certified psychiatrist in South Florida. Are you ready to take the couch? Hey guys, it's Dr. Delvina. Are you ready to take the couch? Hey guys, good evening, it's another Sunday night, it's 8pm, it's time for another episode of the Brain Love Podcast, I'm your host Dr. Delvina, a psychiatrist in South Florida, are you ready to take the couch? So tonight, I'm talking with a very special young lady, and my heart breaks just recalling her story mentally. That I read in her new book Which is called Not Just Another Pretty Face Tonight I'm interviewing Shanita James And her book is One woman's riveting tale of survival Shanita was a child of poverty And a victim of childhood sexual abuse And um, held on to hopelessness As a teenager And became a teenage mother At the age of 13 By the time she was 20, she had four children by four different men, but she didn't stop trying to to win in life. Although there were times she felt suicidal, she kept going and eventually earned her GED, graduated from East Carolina University with a bachelor's degree in social work and is now employed with Child Protective Services as an investigator for children who are suspected of being abused or neglected. She's on her way to get that master's degree in social work. I'm claiming it for her. So join us on the couch as we talk about the dirty, hidden secrets in a lot of our Black communities One in four Black girls Have been molested Or sexually abused As a child And so We gotta break These generational curses Man And you You hear Whitney Houston In the background And of course Mariah Carey Is on this track too I'm playing this Because Whitney Houston Told a story Of being Abused Sexually abused As a child And um, She actually Implicated Her childhood abuse In her drug addiction. So I hope this this young lady's story, Ms. Shanita James, coach and speaker and author, I hope her story helps to deliver someone, some child, some teenager, some adolescent, some young adult from their demons. Join us on the couch, you guys. Thank you. All right. I want you guys to welcome to the show, Ms. Shanita James. Hey there. How you doing? I'm very well. How are you, Queen? I'm
1: good.
0: So, um, you know, I learned about your book, Not Just Another Pretty Face. I really can't even recall if I learned about it on Clubhouse. Are you on Clubhouse? Yes. Okay. So it it was probably on Clubhouse. Um, You were in a room and maybe they were talking about childhood abuse, sexual abuse, molestation. And you mentioned your book. I looked it up. I also, I believe I found you on Instagram and sent you a DM, and that was probably, I don't know, six, seven, eight months ago, something like that. Mm -hmm. So who is Shanita James?
1: Well, I'm an author. Um, I'm currently um, investigator with Child Protective Services. Um, I'm a mother. I'm a grandmother. And I currently got a position as a substance abuse counselor.
0: Wow. So I just want to show folks this is um, this is your book, and for people listening, her book is not just another pretty face. You can find it on Amazon. She also has a website, which is imshanitajames.com. So check out her website. Her story is um, I don't know. It's her story is devastating. Um, I was reading the book and I was like. Who has gone through so much torture? And I'm sure I know people in my own life, and I just never knew that they went through some of the things that you described in your book. Because as you were describing in one part of the book, you were in high school, I believe, and the girls were laughing at sex. And they called you a virgin. And you said, if only they knew my past. So you told me who Shanita James is on paper. Who is Shanita James? Who
1: am I now? Yeah. Well, I think I'm a, I definitely would say I'm an overcomer of many things. Um, I learned to love myself unconditionally. And I also learned that my past does not determine who I am. It does not define me. And um, oftentimes we hold our past against us and we're not able to actually forgive ourselves. We keep right on um, bringing the the past with us when God is trying to take us to, you know, higher heights, but we can't get there because we're holding on to the past and not letting it go.
0: So folks, you have to order her book to understand what she means by past, but Of course, I cannot conduct this interview without referencing some of the points um, in the book. And some of the things in the Black community that we talk about um, includes a topic that we label generational curses. Generational curses are those things that we pass down from generation to generation. And um, when we do that, at times, I don't think we realize we're doing that. We don't know um and as people you're you're originally from North Carolina correct yes and your family your grandparents were they born in North Carolina or, or where were they born
1: North Carolina
0: and so do you know is your family originally from North Carolina was your family slaves in North Carolina or were you guys slaves in some other part of the south
1: um no i have, i can't recall um my actual grandparents being slaves But um, what I have learned is unconsciously we like for me and for my mom as well, we were raising children from a broken place. And when you try to raise children from a broken place, when you're broken, unconsciously you teach those children how to be broken and bitter. And I found myself doing that very same thing. Like even though they didn't actually experience the things that I experienced, mentally they did if do that make sense yeah because like I had all this bitter and angry and anger inside of me and I was passing it along to them and it wasn't until I came to a place of self-reflection where I had to press pause and be like wait a minute what am I doing so I feel like you can't fully raise children to be their best If you're broken yourself, because you're going to teach those children unconsciously how to be broken.
0: And it starts in the womb. It starts in the womb. When women are pregnant, our energy, we pass that energy to our babies. You know, it goes right into the placenta. All of those negative feelings, those thoughts, that energy, we pass it to our baby while we're pregnant. Those nine months. If you're pregnant a full nine months. But During the time of pregnancy, you're passing on to your baby, all of those, your wounded spirit, basically. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that you were a mother of four by the time you were 20. I'm going to add that you were a mother of four by four different men by the time you were 20.
1: Yes. And during that time, I was looking for somebody to save me from me, if that makes sense. So it was like a part of me was yearning for that father figure
0: mm-hmm. and
1: to get something like a fulfillment that i didn't experience and that was love i didn't feel like i was loved i didn't feel like my father protected me like he should have so i was looking for love in all the wrong places and you know with the children i was like well if i have children they're gonna love me no matter what and that's what i did i was looking for those men to save me from me
0: yeah Your book, it states, um, Shanita takes readers on a journey through her past, recounting her many traumatic experiences and how they scarred her soul. Prepare to witness the inhumane cruelties firsthand that many women suffer at the hands of those they trust and look to for love and security. And it also states, for some people, beauty is a blessing. For some, it can be a curse. That was the case with Chinita, who was a victim of childhood sexual abuse growing up. Did you change the names of the characters in your book? I did. Jeffrey was a real fucking case, basket case. Like, excuse my cursing, guys. I'm so sorry for the profanity. When you read this book, Jeffrey, you call him a monster. He was a despicable, disgusting nasty, dirty ass dog is what he, he was, he was so much more than a monster. I mean, where, where's your, where, do you know where is he now? Where is Jeffrey?
1: He's, I haven't had contact with him since I was little, since I was younger, but um, after revealing, you know, what he had did to me and my sister, he also had nieces that he done the same thing to.
0: Did he go and- to jail? Did he go to prison?
1: No, because back then we were taught what goes on in my house stays in my house. So yeah. even though the community knew about it, nobody said anything. They didn't do anything. And yeah. where I was strong enough to overcome it and forgive and forgive him, my sister wasn't. Um she actually had an affair with him from the time she it started when she was ten until she was 30 and I didn't include that part in the book because that's her story but at at, at the age of 18 they put my mom out my mom and my little brother
0: yeah that's and that's in the book
1: I didn't go into you know real details yeah. and then they actually had an affair and she's um mentally she's has from that today like She only dates people, men that are way younger than her. And she feel like she has to buy them. But that was because of what he taught her. And she ended up falling in love with her molester.
0: Yeah. So guys, get this book. You'll read about Janita's sister and how this man was having an affair with this 10-year-old girl inside of the home that was supposed inside of the house that was supposed to be a home. Shanita's mother met a man in the book, he's called Jeffrey. He moved them into his, his house because it was not a home. He moved them into the house and um, created this facade like he was going to take care of them. And your mother. Your mother, you described her as um, you said her head was in the sand. she pretended not to see so many obvious things um you know one there was one part of the book where you lay outside her bed her bedroom on the floor the next morning after Jeffrey had molested you and she told you get up off the floor. you made yourself sick several times guys you just you have to get this book. Um, I started reading it and I couldn't stop. I finished it in one setting. Um, Where's your mother?
1: She's still around. She's she's still living. And um, as I mentioned in the book, um, I didn't realize this until I got older and went on a self-reflection journey that my mom couldn't help me because she couldn't help herself. So when I came out with my story of what was happening to me and what happened to me in my past, she had siblings and cousins where my grandfather actually molested them and my grandmother knew about it and she didn't do anything so she repeated that same cycle she didn't know how to help us because her parents her mom didn't help her it was like you know you you pray and you forget about it
0: yeah that's those are those generational curses that are in the black family man And so, and that's the next point I was going to make is that your mom was probably abused growing up herself. Uh Did she ever admit to you being sexually abused?
1: She has, along with her um, siblings, her sisters.
0: So it wasn't just her siblings who were abused by the grandfather or nieces and nephews who were abused by the grandfather. Your mother was a part of that also.
1: I'm sorry about that. Yes.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah, and so you know October is domestic violence awareness month. Um, I'm talking to Miss Shanita James today, Sunday, October 10th, which is World Health, World Mental Health Day. And um we're having a conversation about childhood abuse and, and sexual molestation. And we're talking about this because so many of us see people. And have friends and co-workers or folks we interact with who present angry, who present at times to be confused, who appear to be lost, who may have a life that you don't agree with. Meaning when I say a life, I'm sure plenty of people scoffed at you being 20 with four kids by four different fathers. But most of the time, people don't ask the question, what's underneath? What's underneath all of the behaviors? What are the thoughts and the emotions or what's in the past? What happened in that person's childhood? The other day on Instagram, I made a post about what's in a relationship. And in that post, I mentioned childhood traumas. I mentioned a person's relationship with their parent and how they see their mother. All of those things are important. So, guys, when you're out here and you're meeting people and they have a story that's so much different than your own story or a story that we consider to be unbecoming, show grace, show love, because oftentimes there's something behind that story. And when you get not just another pretty face authored and written by Shanita James, it brings all that stuff to light and makes you appreciate it and understand it. So your mother's still living. You guys have had open, full conversations about the things that happened to you at the hands of her boyfriend? Yes. Does your sister, your oldest sister, the the young lady who had an affair with Jeffrey, well, let me back up, who was raped and molested and abused by Jeffrey for really 20 years, you know, because... No child can make a decision to be in a relationship. No child can consent to sexual relations, whether it's oral sex, making out, intercourse, whatever the case may be, no child can give consent for that. And you said your 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 sister began being raped and molested by this dude at the age of 10. So by the time she was 18, which is what is deemed old enough to give consent in many states, although some states is 16 and 17 but we'll say eighteen. By that point, her mind was so battered. Like uh, I can't imagine being a ten-year-old girl being sexual sexually involved with a grown man, being raped by a man every day. Yeah, oh. it was um, it was horrible
1: um, for her because in the beginning, she told she told my mom, you know, what he was doing, and for some reason, my mom. I don't know if she just did not believe her or she didn't want to believe her because he portrayed himself to be so nice and kind and helping. Um, but then when I told her, she, she actually believed me. Um, but she also told me not to tell anybody because I would be taken away. Social service would come and take me away from her. So I endured it as long as I could. And then when I got tired of it, I just, I had to tell.
0: Now, your, your sister and your mother, do they talk? Do they communicate? Are they friends? Have they they, they talk,
1: but my sister has a hard time forgiving my mom for that. She has a very hard time, but my mom tries to put the past behind her. And we had a conversation, and she did say to me that, you know, it's a, it will always be a hole in her heart. Because she felt like she failed her girls, so she's she's really bothered by. It. I know that it hurts her.
0: Where's your brother?
1: He's still living. He lives um, here in the same town as I.
0: Are you guys still close?
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, we're very close.
0: How's he doing? Does is he in a relationship? Has he had children?
1: He has two children, but his relate relationships has been rocky. And I think it's mainly because how he was neglected by my mom. So what I learned a lot of times, like if men, if they don't get that nurturing by their mother, then they look for it in women. And when they don't get it, it makes them angry and bitter with the woman, if that makes sense.
0: It makes a lot of sense.
1: Because they blame women, like your parents, your mom and your dad supposed to be the people that love you and protect you no matter what so when you don't have that and when they fail you it's like you lose all trust in everybody
0: yeah there's nothing better than a mother's love nothing nothing compares to a mother's love and when you ain't got it that creates a lot of holes inside of your life a lot of things won't be right so in chapter six chapter six is titled dad's house And the second is, I'm running away. Mom finally found a place to live. When she came to pick us up, she had the brightest smile on her face. She was proud that she had fulfilled her promise to us. However, her happiness and joy vanished after my dad told her she could not take me with her. The two of them bickered back and forth, blaming each other for the things done to me. You just want to keep them so you won't have to pay child support, mom shouted. You don't want them, you just want my check and food stamps, dad fired back. Neither of them thought about the fact, the fact that their words would have lasting effects on their children's self-esteem. They didn't care that we were present and listening. Were they speaking the truth? I think that happens a lot with kids who have parents who are separated, child support comes into play, money comes into play, Women use kids as pawns and alienating the father. And um, I know you live with your father for a little while, but was what was interesting, and as a psychiatrist for me, I wasn't surprised to see that you had, when your father would badmouth your mother or say negative things about your mother, you would go on the defensive for your mom.
1: Yes, because to me, in, in my eyes, at the time, I felt like my mom could do no wrong.
0: Even though,
1: you know, the things that she'd done, I didn't agree up, agree with, I just wanted her to be home, to just be there with us to protect us. And so when I heard him say all those things about her, it made me resent them even more. And um, I included in the book, although he removed me from that situation, from, you know, the environment, it was a better environment, it was a better house, his brother was doing the same thing yeah. and at that point I was so afraid to tell it like I wouldn't tell anyone but my behavior I, I act out the rage that I was feeling on the inside when I would go to school I was just I was so rebellious I remember I was in the seventh grade and that the teacher was telling us to, you know get our things up and I would jump on the desk like I would just do anything for that attention and to release the anger that I was feeling.
0: Yeah. So that's a, that's a a lesson, you know, to folks watching or listening later. The lesson here is this, if your child is acting out more than likely, there is a reason you have to investigate. You have to be a supportive listening ear. You have to listen to them. You have to give them that support, give them the sounding board, to share whatever's going on in their world at the time. Especially if your child goes from being, you know, what we call a normal average type kid doing average type children type stuff. But when they become angry and become enraged, that's a red flag that something ain't right in their life. Mm -hmm. Now you didn't want to tell your dad that Jeffrey was molesting you.
1: I didn't know how to tell him. Like um, during that time, and I didn't want to talk about it because when I talked about it and that mean I had to relive it. Like I had to relive those emotions of the things that he was doing. So I just, and he never asked, like he never asked in detail, you know, what those things were, what did he actually do? Um, but I didn't want to tell it either. Like I didn't, I just wanted to put it in the back of my mind. So I wouldn't think about it.
0: When your father kicked you out, cause he kicked you out. He told you, you know what? You got to get out of here. I'm taking you to your mama. You're a whore. You're going to end up pregnant. All those evil things he spoke into existence for you, as opposed to hugging you tight and saying, I love you. See, the thing that we learn, I think, in the Black community, and this comes from, this dates back to slavery, we learn not to love, but to use anger and hate to try to remedy a situation we use anger and hate to try to remedy a situation as opposed to love um, and so when your father packed you up to go back to your mother's house it was it was before that point when you moved in with him he knew about what was going on he had heard about what happened to you and he called or said came to pick you up and said you can't live here anymore i'm taking you home with me uh-huh. because it was a little vague in your book. But you were explaining that he heard that you were had been molested. Did he know to what extent you were molested?
1: He didn't know. He didn't know the extent to what everything that had transpired. He didn't know.
0: And when he found out later, when his girlfriend took you to the gynecology office and they said she has had sex, she's had the intercourse. Did he realize that was because of Jeffrey?
1: No, he thought I was messing with the younger boys that was in the neighborhood. And I hated him for that. I hated him for that because he would—he took me from my mom, put me in the place with my grandparents. His brother was doing the same thing, but they had all this anger towards my mom. And then for me to be, I wasn't even thinking about boys at that point. And for him to not even ask like, who, what, when, that made me want to kill myself. Like, I just, I I hated him for that. I, I actually hated him for that.
0: Yeah. I can understand why. Because communication, you know, we need communication in all relationships, not just our personal relationships with our boyfriends, girlfriends, husbands and wives or whatever the friend with benefits. We need effective communications and communication in our homes as well. So that was an opportunity when they took you to the gynecologist for your father to sit down with you and ask you about the situation with Jeffrey. You know, his first assumption should have been my baby girl has been raped by this maniac that she lived with with her mother.
1: Well, see, my grandmother had put in his mind that I was pregnant because I would come home every day from school and I would be exhausted. So I would just want mm-hmm. to sleep because I was up all night thinking that, you know, praying that my uncle wouldn't come in the room and do what he done. They didn't know these things. So by the time I got home from school, I just wanted to go to sleep. So she was older, um, she was stuck in her ways. So to her, that symbolized that I, w- I must be pregnant.
0: Mm-hmm. And she
1: convinced them to take me to the doctor to get tested. Yeah. If I was pregnant.
0: Now, how old was your uncle at the time that he was touching you inappropriately?
1: He had to been at least because he's about 70 now. So he had to be at least in his early 40s.
0: Was this your great uncle or this was your father's brother?
1: My father's brother.
0: And so did you ever tell your father that his brother did this to you before publishing this book?
1: I told him once I got grown, right before I um, started to write. So he knew probably about two, three years before. But I had cousins, my cousins that was around the same age as I, they knew what was going on, but they didn't. Kids kids don't share that information. Like, if you confide in a, a child, they're not going to just tell that.
0: Yeah. What was your father's response when you told him?
1: He cried he cried. And I think a lot of it, he felt, um, he felt guilty. Um, I told him how I felt because when he put me out, I just prayed for a baby. Like God, you know, my dad, he, he put me out. He called me all these names. My mom is not here. So I prayed. I said, God, if you give me a baby, I yeah. know. And I was 13. I said, I know that this baby is going to just love me unconditionally. And I'm gonna pour all that love that I'm looking for into my child. And so that um, that's what I did. I I prayed for my baby. And at 13, I was pregnant by a 21 year old.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And even the community kept that hush, hush. Your mom told him, if you don't claim this child, I'll make your life hell or whatever. And he came back and there you entered another world of just horror, just just devastation with another maniac. He was a maniac as well. This what was his name? Well, you changed the name, but <laughs> Fred. Wasn't he Fred? That was Fred. So what's your relationship like today with your father?
1: We we talk, we we get along. Cause I mean, I had to let that go because if I didn't, it was gonna consume me. So I had to go and forgive all of them, not for them, but for me, because I didn't want to be bitter. I wanted a healthy relationship, and I was blaming other people who had nothing to do with my upbringing or my past. I was inflicting that my toxin into them, and it wasn't healthy.
0: Yeah. How how old is your father now?
1: He's 58.
0: 58. You're 40. So he was 17. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Babies having babies. And this is what perpetuates these generational curses. You know, when folks have children young, and they don't know any better. They don't know how to raise a child. They're not taught love. They don't grow up with love in their household. And um, traumas occur in in their life growing up. They pass those things on to their own children. Mm -hmm. Mm -mm -mm. And so... um, Your four children, how old are they? Now
1: they're 21, 23, 25, and
0: 27. Have they read your book?
1: No. They don't want it. They know the story, some of it, but they don't want to read it.
0: Not yet, huh?
1: Because they don't want to be angry with nobody. They don't don't want to be angry. So no, they haven't read it.
0: Did your mom read it? Mm Mm-hmm what about your father
1: well he has a copy i don't know if he actually read it
0: you know then
1: for me it was like i felt being pretty was a curse because you attract all these people that had the men that have alternative motives they just looking at the out appearance so if you're already weak, you'll fall for, I was falling for the sweet nothings that they, that they said to me. And then the females, they would think because I didn't trust people, so I was kind of like a loner. Um, I didn't want to be around people, or whatever. So they took that as I was stuck up. And they had no idea. They had the, no idea. What the I nightmare.
0: The nightmare you the were anxiety, living.
1: anxiety. The depression they had no idea that i was enduring all these things like it wasn't that i didn't want to hang out with them and be friends with them i had anxiety i was afraid i was scared yeah then when i was you know suffering from depression i only went out to go to work go to school and come back home and they didn't they didn't realize that so and i was talking to um a doctor and I was telling him I was all excited. I was telling him that I wanted to write a book and, you know, tell my story. And he's, and I have that in a book. And he said to me, that's how I got the title, not just another pretty face. He said to me, unless you go back to school and get your degree, you're going to be nothing but a pretty face with a sad story. And I was like, did he just say that to me? But that stuck in my head. So I'm like, I am more than just a pretty face. That's, that's not all that I am. <laughs> so.
0: What kind of doctor was that that told you that?
1: A trauma surgeon. All right. <laughs>
0: Maybe that was his way of trying to motivate you to get your degree.
1: Yeah. And I think, too, where... He has a lot of, he had a lot of education. So education was important. And from his colleague, because he said, um, unless you get that, my colleagues will chew you out. They will chew you up and spit you out. So I understood what he was saying about how credentials are important. However, um, if you, it's, it's more to it. If you do your research, not everybody that writes a book has a degree in English. Some of them don't even have a degree at all.
0: Most Um, people who write books are (laughs) are not English majors or don't have degrees. It's just anyone can write a book. Everyone has a story.
1: And he he didn't understand that. Like, it was about connecting with your niche, telling your story, doing your research. But at the same time, I felt as if I had to go back and get a degree. So I thought about it. I was like, well, what do I want to get a degree in? And then, you know, social work was the first thing that came to mind. And then, you know, I was telling people, it's like, they don't make no money. But at this point, it wasn't about the money. Um, I felt like it was bigger than me. It was about if I could help save one child, Mm
0: -hmm. if I can be
1: that voice for one child, then I felt like, that enough money could not pay me. It cannot be enough money paid to me to be able to do that. And so that is what drives my passion every day, is to help somebody that looked like me, went through what I went through, afraid to talk, afraid to tell it, but let them know, you know, your beginning is not your end. Right,
0: right. So you're a social worker now. Yes. Did you say that when I asked you in the beginning who was Shanita James? I did. No, I, I so.
1: Well, I don't think you was recording then because I said that I I said that I'm an investigator for a child. Um
0: child Yeah, that was that was our offline uh oh, offline I'm conversation. Sorry. I'm sorry. So tell folks who professionally was <laughs> Shanita James. So so you got your GED. So when you read the book, you'll see that she goes back to school. She earns her GED in record time. You did well on the test. You were always a smart girl. You were just traumatized. I was just traumatized.
1: The highest grade that I actually completed was the 8th grade. Yeah. Um, after that, I didn't have no education, but I knew that I wanted better for my children. Like I was like, I got to do this for my children because uh-huh. I refused to let them, bring them up how I was, raised, them how I was raised. Um, so I decided to go back and get my GED. I, you know how people say, I got it out the mud? I mm-hmm. literally got it out the mud. Like, nobody gave me anything. So I went back, I got my, um, my GED, um, and that wasn't enough. So I went back to a community college. I got my associates in applied science. So I became a medical laboratory technician. I worked in the lab for maybe five years, but I just felt like my purpose and my calling was bigger than that. So when I started talking to you know the surgeon, having conversations with him, and he was trying to get me to you know go deeper and to find a degree, I was like, I gotta go back and help people like myself.
0: And okay, I ended- think he motivated you.
1: <laughs> you did. I guess it was the harsh words like yeah you, know, you don't want to hear the truth and sometimes people don't sugarcoat stuff. So yeah. um and especially it, surgeons,
0: they don't they don't sugarcoat <laughs> much.
1: Yeah. So um that's how I ended up um being becoming a social worker and I actually I love what I do. I love it. And oftentimes they'll say, Shanita, how can you connect mm-hmm. with them and my colleagues, like my um co-workers? they had no idea who Shanita was and what I'd been through. And it would bother me sometimes to be in conversation, just hear certain things that they would say about certain kids. And I'm like, this was me. This this is how they felt about me. You know, because I'm looking at myself. I'm looking at the child in them, in me. And I'm like, this is how they felt. And my whole, I felt like, the doctors, the social workers, the teacher—I felt like all of them had failed me, and it could have been because they wasn't um, trauma informed. They didn't know what childhood trauma looked like. I think that played a lot. You know, had a lot to do with it as well, and probably the timing back then. In that, you know, the eighties.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because you, oh, you're forty-one, so you were born in. Eighty. Okay, I was gonna say I'm trying to. I'm forty-five. I, I, I kind of lost my age for a second. I'm 45 or 46. I'm 45, yes. Mm -hmm. So um, how long have you been a social worker?
1: I actually graduated last year. And um, before then, I was in this program called the Family Self-Sufficient Program when I was getting my associate's degree. And um, I was on Section 8. And I remember going in one day for recertification. And my worker asked me, um, he was like, well, what are your goals? And I was telling him, my goals, he was like, shut my door. So I shut. I closed the door. And um, he said, let me tell you about a program that I want you to apply for because you're eligible. So I, um, the program, like you be on the program from five to seven years. And whatever amount in rent that you pay, they match it and put it in an extra account. So he said, how much are, he was like, let me look at your records. How much are you paying for rent? So during that time, I think I was paying like $500. He said, I want you to max out your vouchers, which was like $620. So I was like, I can't afford that. And he was like, you know, increase your hours at work. So that's what I did. I increased my hours at work and I went and got a place that was $620. Mm -hmm. So every amount that I paid the $620, they matched it in a, extra account and the program consists of rebuilding your credit um you know teaching you about finance and all that stuff when i graduated um with my associate's degree they awarded me a check for almost twenty thousand dollars
0: that was money they matched and put in your escrow account yes and
1: a lot of people they don't tell a lot of people about those resources so it's like so many people that live in poverty that don't know, like they don't know about those programs that it's actually resources out there. If you want to be helped, yeah. that would actually help you. So I, I thought that was amazing. So I felt like I had to share and learn about the resources in our community. So i would be able to help those people as well.
0: Gotcha. Wow. That's awesome. And congratulations on your graduation last year. Thank you. So you're working in social work and you said you're a child protective case, caseworker.
1: I'm an investigator. So we get a report um, of a child that has been allegedly abused or neglected. We go and we investigate it to see are the, if the allegations are in fact true. Um, after we investigate it, we come and we form a, a set, do an assessment and we do a treatment plan to see how can we keep the child safe? How can we make the family better? Um, so I do that. And actually, I just I start another job as a substance abuse counselor October the 25th. So I'm excited about that.
0: Thank you for being a part of the Brain Love Mental Health Team. We need more of us. Yeah. So you'll help folks with substance abuse and you'll continue helping children also. Mm-hmm. And
1: the thing that I didn't, um, that you didn't mention in the book was, we talked about generational curses. Mm-hmm. Well, my daughter, I was dating a guy
0: mm-hmm. and
1: I actually walked in yeah. and witnessed what he was about to do to my daughter. Yeah, And that is how I ended up messing with the married man because at that point i just i hated everybody like i just felt like everybody was against me and i'm like why should i keep doing right and you know loving people no matter what if these things right here continue to happen
0: yeah Um, so and 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 listen for, for folks listening put people on notice if you know you have some a predator in your family who preys on children, who takes advantage of children, little boys, girls, young women, put them on notice, let folks know, report it, Mm -hmm. report it. That's the only way these people will become exposed and could potentially get some help for their sick brains. Now, uh, child molester is probably one of the hardest things in mental health for us to, to, to remedy. To help Because when someone has, and I'm not saying that they can't be helped, but it really takes full-time dedication from that person to want to get help. Look at R. Kelly. And I, I still don't think R. Kelly thinks he's done anything wrong. I still think R. Kelly, I don't think he's claiming that anything is wrong in what he did with Aaliyah and all these other young girls. So if you have folks in your home and your family who have done this type of crap You have to report it. Keep other kids safe. You heard Ms. James mention how she found out the uncle was doing this to other cousins. The grandfather had done it to other family members. Oftentimes, these predators have, you know, they've done this. They perpetrated these acts on other children in the family. So it's important for us to uncover these dirty little secrets that exist in our families and to talk to our children about it. Now you brought up your daughter and there was something in the book where you describe, you asked your daughter, why why didn't you tell me? And you said, you said, your daughter said to you, because you told me if anyone ever put their hands on me, you would kill them and you would go to jail. And you made such a great point about, we have to be careful and how we explain things to our children because children at that age are very concrete and literal. She didn't want you to go to jail. So she was willing to continue to endure these visits from your boyfriend at night so that her mama wouldn't go to jail. And I thought
1: that I was doing right by telling her like, I'm going to believe you, but I didn't know, you know, I was messing her up at the same time where she would be afraid to lose me. So she kept quiet.
0: Thank God that the Lord gave you that premonition that night of you seeing a man walk into your, walking into your daughter's room. Thank the Lord for that. I know in the book you asked her how far had it gone. And I think he had, he was just fondling and touching on her. He had not done any, penetrated her or raped her at that point. Well,
1: actually, I don't know how far it went. Um, I did get her into counseling, but I never asked her everything that he done. I didn't want to know. I didn't want to know cuz mentally I didn't know what it would do to me to know that this man cuz I know I'm a victim. So I know what it felt like. So I thought at that time the best thing for me to do was to get her some help like right then. Yeah. And that's what I did. She went to um counseling and, and received therapy right then.
0: Okay. How long was she in therapy?
1: For about a year. She was in therapy for about a year. And she actually did her senior project on Children children of Molestation.
0: Okay. Her senior project in high school? Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. So do you still love the song, I Love You, that you used to sing in the choir?
1: I do. I do. Um, I'm very spiritual um, even now. And I think that has been... Me being spiritual got me a long ways, like knowing that, you know, not everything that you go through is in vain. Like I went through what I went through, but I overcame it. So now I'm able to help somebody else overcome or prevent it from happening to somebody else. So I try not to look at the bad, focus on the bad. I focus on the pro- the positive that I can in fact, help somebody else.
0: Yeah. And guys, you know, we've had this this, um, increase in suicide attempts and completed suicides amongst Black children. And people are like, what is wrong? Why are our children doing this? Listen, there are reasons. Kids don't just want to kill themselves. You got to talk to your child. Who has touched you? Who has done anything to you? Who has violated you? You know, ask the questions. Are you being bullied at school? How do you, what do you think about your sexuality? You know, you have to ask the hard questions because these, a lot of those things are the reasons why children have been attempting and, and basically completing suicides. Are you still involved in the church? Did you get back into the church?
1: Yes, I'm still in church. I, I don't think I would never leave
0: the church.
1: I'm not um, super religious, like I'm not religious, but I'm very spiritual,
0: what happened to Hope?
1: She actually lived in the same town that I live in. She's um she's seventy five now.
0: She is. Uh,
1: uh-huh. And for her 70, her seventh when she turned 70, seventy, I'm sorry, they found me. The people from her church found me. And I was they had me as a special surprise guest for her. And she cried Ooh. and cried. You no, know she did I, I cried, yes, I cried because she didn't know what was going on she she had no idea what i was going through so it was like yeah that was was, it was emotional but it was amazing
0: do you think a lot of folks in your church have read the book from hope's church the church you were going to with hope
1: i do i do um of course a lot of them um they were older so a lot of them are deceased now but um the pastor he's still um he's And he still um, talk about me when he go across the pulpit and preach. He says, where's my Tina? Because they call me Tina. He says, where's my Tina at? He was like the little girl that would shout and run around the church saying, I'm a winner. I don't know why I was saying that back then, but I would just run around the church and say, I'm a winner.
0: Wow. Do you still sing, I love you?
1: Not as often. Um, Every now and again.
0: So what are some last words you would leave with families and children, a teenager who could be listening to this right now? What are some final words to share with them?
1: Speak up. If somebody is molesting you or touching you in ways that make you feel uncomfortable, talk to somebody, tell somebody what they're doing. And if your mom or, you know, your father, if they're not listening, you tell someone who will listen because it's not okay for someone to touch you inappropriately, especially, you know, if you don't want it. It's not okay. And um, to for the adults, take the time to heal, 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 heal. I'm a big advocate on therapy. Um, Take the time to find yourself. Love yourself unconditionally, because when you love yourself, you would not go through or accept half the things that I accepted in the book. As an adult, you, you wouldn't do it. When you don't truly love yourself, you begin to negotiate your worth for a temporary feeling, if that makes sense. Like I was willing to negotiate who I was, my worth to different men, just to feel love. And like I said before, I was looking for someone to save me from me. And I didn't realize until later, I was the only one that could do that because what I was fighting was within me. Mm-hmm. So take the time to heal, love yourself, love yourself, love yourself, love yourself unconditionally. Because you teach people how to treat you by what you allow.
0: And and I just want to say, I I definitely understand and appreciate what you're saying. Sometimes folks are dealt um, a hand and there's nothing you can do about it. It feels like in the moment. I mean, when you were 13 and wanted to have a baby, you had been tortured and molested for six, seven years leading up to that point your little child brain did not know any better you know and i'm 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 making an excuse for you being 13 and wanting a baby you no one loved you no one was loving you properly i should say they may have felt like they were loving you but your mother and your father didn't know how to show you love and didn't show you love and so and to be age seven, I because the molestation started when you were seven, I believe, right? Correct. yeah, and not know where to turn who to what to do, who to tell. Um, it's by the grace of God that you were able to endure and overcome the things that you were faced with. Um, I just your your story is is a, like a story of a miracle because to be so young, you guys were impoverished. You didn't have anything. Your mother um, was, had also been abused. There were so many generational curses around you. You know, you couldn't sleep in your own grandparents' house without fearing someone would touch you and violate you. Like, I don't, I don't know what that feels like. So it's just, And then once you got to the point of being an adult and you can look back on it now and say, okay, this is what my older self would tell my younger self is to love me. Like, wow, that's so mature of you to say. Thank you. And the fact that you're not, um, you are truly healed because you're not blaming others. You're not blaming others. You you just see it as I think you do see it as this is the hand you were dealt, and you're gonna play it the best way you you can.
1: And once you encounter when you go on that self-reflection, a self-reflection journey, once you forgive and you encounter peace and joy, like you would not negotiate it, you will not compromise that and you would not let anyone come and take that away from you because it's like the best feeling in the world when you just have peace peace it's it's so amazing
0: yeah peace is amazing y'all so do what you gotta do to implement self-care take care of yourself communicate well love yourself love your family take care of you first because if you don't take care of you you can't take care of others Well, I definitely enjoyed talking to you today. Thank you so much for sharing your pearls of wisdom and and sharing your history with all of us. Thank
1: you. Thank you for having me on.
0: You are so welcome. And guys, please support Shanita James. Read her story because it may help you in finding a way to tell your own story one in four black women have been sexually abused molested as children one in four black women one in four keep your baby safe keep your children safe don't trust the family member just because it's your brother doesn't mean that he ain't off you know don't trust family members just because they're family don't trust people by default You got to say things to them, too. Sometimes it's just not your kids you have to talk to. You got to talk to family also. Like, hey, I don't let people bounce my, my son or my daughter on their knee. We don't play horsey horse around here. Hey, don't hug my daughter that way. When you hug her, your hands stay up here on her back. You know, you may have to have these types of conversations with family members so that they know you're vigilant, so they know you're paying attention because it makes it less likely that someone will try to take advantage of your children or rape or abuse your children. Let's talk about these things openly. So anyhow, I I hope this was helpful for some people. And maybe this is a story you can share with your child. If you have a teenager or an adolescent who's going through a difficult time, this may make it more possible for you to talk to your son or your daughter to see what's going on with them. Guys, continue to follow the Brain Love Podcast as well as My YouTube channel, Dr. Delvina Thomas. Um, I'm just trying to share information about the brain, y'all. That's all. All right. Say brain love. (laughs) So, guys, I just wanted to remind you about ways to follow me because they have changed. Facebook has not been kind to me. The ways have changed. So I am still on Instagram as Dr. Delvina, D-R-D as in Delta, E-L-V as in Victor, E-N-A. I no longer have a Twitter for Dr. Delvina and I no longer have a professional Facebook page for Dr. Delvina as Twitter actually unpublished my page some months ago because of some sort of infringement rights. And Facebook unpublished my page because of a picture I posted in my story. So, you can please follow me on Facebook at The Brain Love Podcast. The Brain Love Podcast is on Facebook, there's a Facebook page for it. And on Twitter, you can follow my office, DrT Brain Love. So, um, yeah. That's how you can follow me. And, of course, I'm on YouTube, Dr. Delvina Thomas. You just type in D-R and then Delvina Thomas. Again, D as in Delta, E-L, V as in Victor, E N A, T H O M A S, spelled the slave way. And uh, my website is drdelvina.help. So D-R, Delvina, H-E-L-P. And feel free to send me an email if you have any questions regarding an episode or if you want me to talk about a, a specific topic or subject, email me at info, I-N-F-O, at Dr. Delvena, doctor is abbreviated, D-R-D-E-L-V-E-N-A dot help, H-E-L-P. All right, guys. Remember, brain love.